You're listening to the Writing Wall Podcast, and I'm your host, Stacey Hawks. Every second and fourth Saturday of the month, I will be here at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many other platforms. This podcast is designed for indie authors to have a platform to share their books, their poetry, and their stories. We also feature well-known and traditional writers that are from my home state of North Carolina, while also featuring local writers from my backyard right here in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of Allegheny County. You can connect with us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85 and grab our links there to our website so that you can keep up with what's happening with our monthly newsletter. Newsletters go out the first of every month and you can also sign up to follow us on the Wix app because everyone has a story. We want to hear yours. What is your story? Ever wish you could have some one-on-one time with a well-known author, ask questions about the craft or the business of writing, or maybe just what it feels like to have people read your books? Well, now you can. Beginning the second Thursday of each month, Allegheny Writers will host an online session where experienced authors share their wisdom and answer questions submitted by members. Our next Hooked on Book segment takes place March 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with author George Ann Eubanks. George Ann Eubanks is a graduate of Duke University, a storyteller, a writer, and teacher of writing. She's directed the Duke University Writers Workshop for 20 years before launching the Table Rock Writers Workshop, a program for adults and writers of all levels and experiences held each fall in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. So join Allegheny Writers today and enjoy some of these great members' benefits by visiting them online, www.alleghenywriters.com forward slash membership. Also keep an eye out for them on social media at Allegheny Writes on Twitter at Allegheny Writers on Instagram and on Facebook too because everyone has a story come hear these authors share theirs with us we promise we're going to have you hooked on these books Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Writing Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and tonight we're speaking with our Writer of the Week, USA Today bestselling author of Southern Historic Fiction, Donna Everhart. Donna is also a native of North Carolina. She's a member of the NC Writers Network Women's Fiction Writers Association, and her book, The Road to Bittersweet, won her the title of Author of the Year in Fiction in 2018. Her latest book is titled The Moonshiner's Daughter and is now available. Thank you, Donna, for being here and being part of our blog and podcast this week. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Share with listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. So I was born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. I always kind of joke around to people that if they listen to me long enough, they'll know I'm Southern. Uh, And I have always lived in and around my hometown, but I don't live in Raleigh now. I actually live in a little town called Dunn, and it has less than 10,000 people, and we love it here. We've been here 
probably about 22, 23 years, something like that. But I worked in information technology for a long time, which I get a lot of comments about that because I'm writing now and they say, well, that's like left brain versus right brain kind of activity. <laughs> but I did IT work for about 35 years and my company went bankrupt. And when they went bankrupt, I told my husband, if I'm ever going to get into writing, now is the time. But I went back to school for a little bit and got my Bachelor of Science degree in business management. And then I was still working actually for the company that went bankrupt and worked until they basically kicked me out the door. But by that time I had my first book completed and had just signed on with an agent. So at that time I was kind of ready to leave and see what would happen. So that's a real quick background for me. Who or what inspired you to want to be a writer? You know, we were kind of talking about this earlier before this podcast, obviously not literally talking, but we had exchanged information. And this is, for me, it's the truth. I was always a huge reader. From the time I learned what those little black squiggly lines were on a page, which was around kindergarten, first grade, like most of us, from that moment on, I was a huge reader and I just read anything and everything I could get my hands on. But it took a long time. And I want to say by long, I mean, it was, I was probably in my late thirties and having gone through multiple genres, you know, I'd go into these periods of time where I was reading a lot of historic fiction. I was reading, especially in my teen years, a lot of romance novels, <laughs> you know, Kathleen E. Woodowis type books. Then from there, I was reading, uh, oh my gosh, I had my Stephen King phase. I still have about 30 something of his books, but I ended up finding a book that was written by Kay Gibbons called Ellen Foster. And that was probably the first time I had landed on a story that was Southern fiction. I mean, you know, here I am in the South, you would think I had read it before then, but I was just kind of all over the place with my reading. And so once I read that book and I was right at that point in time where I had been sort of dabbling a little bit with writing, it was the kind of story that just really, it meant something because it's like, oh my gosh, for the first time I'm, I'm reading about people who talk like I do and who experience some of the same things that, you know, a lot of people do. It's not just a Southern thing, but it was all about the atmosphere, drinking sweet tea, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, it talks to you, it speaks to you. But that was really kind of what kicked it off. But I, I still, at that time, I just wasn't quite ready. Just, it takes time. Everybody's got their own path when it comes to writing and how they approach it and when they think they're ready for it. But for me, it was starting to read Southern fiction. And then that was pretty much all I was reading. And that was sort of how I knew this is what I, if I was ever going to write anything, it would be this. Your new book is available now. It's titled The Moonshiner's Daughter. I'm reading The Moonshiner's Daughter now, and I'm going to encourage every Southern historic fiction lover to go pick up this book. So what can you share with listeners about The Moonshiner's Daughter and what influenced you to write it? Absolutely. Well, what I have been doing with a lot of my stories so far is I 
I tend to pick a county in North Carolina and let's see what happened in that county. And for the first four books, and I don't know that anybody else has ever noticed this, but I kind of noticed it's like I wrote Dixie Dupree and that was actually set in Alabama. But then I was like, why am I putting a story in Alabama? I need to write, you know, a little bit more deal with my home state. So, and, and there were some reasons why I put Dixie down in Alabama because I sort of wanted to disassociate myself with this is not my personal story here. But with regard to the rest of the books and in particular also with Moonshiner's Daughter, I've sort of flip-flopped back and forth between mountains and somewhere else in North Carolina and back to the mountains. You, you see what I'm saying? With The Moonshiner's Daughter, I was just researching for the next story and I landed on Wilkes County. And to be honest with you, I had always wanted to write about moonshining because I knew it was a big part of North Carolina's history. I mean, it's a big part of a lot of states' history, but, and the interesting thing too about it, and I'm sort of having a little extra thought here as I'm going along about why Wilkes County. It was known as the moonshine capital of the world, but as I was researching, I found out that there were other states like Tennessee, for instance, they had their own county that they said was the moonshine capital of the world. But I was just researching about that and landed on the story of do something with moonshining. So this is the place I need to do it and this is where it needs to be since it was the moonshine capital. The book itself deals with a, of course all my books so far have been coming of age stories. And it deals with a girl uh, named Jessie Sasser, 16 years old. And she's born into a legacy of moonshining. But what happens with her is she witnesses her mother's traumatic death. And as she gets older, she begins to realize that moonshining, she believes, has had something to do with that death. And so she has tried to question her father about it, and he's not very forthcoming with information. Everybody else in the family seems to be perfectly happy with the moonshining legacy, but she's not. And it's because of what she believes took place with her mother. And so this creates a rub between her and her family members. There's the conflict right there because she has decided that she really doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So she sets out to destroy their stills and it backfires on her and resurrects an old rivalry with another family and uncovers a lot of secrets along the way, I guess you could say. How long did it take you to write your latest book? And that's from the planning process all the way to publishing. Everybody's got their own speed with which they write, but what has changed for me was being under contract because they kind of expect you to produce about a book a year. It, it just depends on if whether or not you've got a one book contract or you know more than a say a two book contract. The Forgiving Kind, which was my third book, and this book, The Moonshiner's Daughter, were a two book contract. And so I had to, you know, produce it within about a year. Now I know they would have given me a little bit of extra time probably if I needed it, but my agent told me one time, and this is always stuck with me, he said, you have your entire life to write your first book and then about a year for every other one after that. Was there any piece of information that you learned while researching The Moonshiner's Daughter that you found particularly surprising or interesting? Oh yeah, well, I think the thing that sticks out for me the most, that was a surprise. The Moonshiners actually had a good relationship with the Revenuers. They didn't want to hurt each other. They, you know, it became a little bit of a game sometimes. I mean, it, it got dangerous. 
they rubbed each other the wrong way occasionally, but most of the time it was this just chasing each other up and down the, the mountainside and, and trying not to wreck but trying to get away. There were stories, As I, I mean, it was really fun researching this book because there were stories about people who were being chased by revenuers and they would jump from their car, let the car go on, and they would roll off somewhere and shoom, the revenuers would just keep going and they would get away that way. But there was very little shooting at one another. A lot of the stuff that gets depicted, I think, you know, of course, for the sake of TV and, and whatnot probably has it revved up a little bit. And of course I revved it up <laughs> for the book. But yeah, so that, that was a surprise to me. I'll tell you what I found interesting. I found interesting that you brought out something I have heard my entire life growing up and it was about the money, the money they made and what they did with it. They didn't take it to a bank. Yeah, you know, it was kind of funny because when I ran across that, I mean, it made sense, you know, but there was a huge distrust, but there was a lot of privacy too. You know, people, and especially if you're doing something like that, can you imagine, you know, I mean, he was a mechanic, Jesse's father was a mechanic, so he wasn't making a lot of money. And that was another thing that was surprising to me about the research was the fact that a lot of these families, they weren't drinking their product. They were just simply making it to sell it to supplement their incomes because a lot of them were very poor. And this really, really rubbed them the wrong way when the government was trying to come in and tell them what to do and where to do it and how to do it and what they could or could not do because they were on their land. And then it became, well, we'll do it on somebody else's land. And, you know, that was kind of part and parcel of also just in case they got caught. It wouldn't lead back to family and, and things like that. And plus it made it harder for them to catch them. So a lot of people had stills on their land and probably didn't even know it. Speaking of researching and writing, what is the best writing advice you have ever received? There's so much of it out there. I think one of the things that we get told a lot of, uh, or this is repeated many times, and that's write every single day. And I do think that that is true because what I have found is that the longer I go not writing on a particular project, the harder it is to get back to it. But also, I think, Sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves to do that. You're gonna know once you sit down and if you start trying to write, work on a particular section, whether or not it's working for you. Sometimes you have to step away from it to be able to just think for a little bit. So I think, you know, while writers will say, and I'm terrible for this, I give myself these goals, you know, I'm gonna do X many words a day. It's usually about a thousand is what I try to set. But I have learned over the course of time, if I make it to a thousand, yay. If I don't, it's okay. I'll get there tomorrow. I sometimes I only get 200 words. It just depends. I agree with that a thousand percent. I also think that if you take a step back and you're relaxing, sometimes that helps your mind open up and you gain inspiration for your WIP or your manuscript. Sometimes you got to let your brain rest because you'll be surprised the ideas will come when you least expect it. Since North Carolina is known as the writing estate, who are some of your favorite North Carolina authors or poets? Oh, I have too many. I really do. Let's see. Well, I love Ron Rash. I've read a lot of his books. Of course, Kay Gibbons, big North Carolina writer. She's not writing anymore and I wish she would. I've got every single one of her books. 
Charles Frazier is another one that comes to mind. Rick Bragg. I mean, when we talk about the writing, you know, I mean, this state has definitely got its writers. Wiley Cash is another one. I've got some of Lee Smith's books. I think I've got like three and I have not read them yet. You know how that goes. You buy the books because you want to read them. And then next thing you know, you've got this TBR pile that's huge. I've scanned some of her stuff and I thought to myself, I know she's going to be one of my favorites too. Do you see any of your books turning into movies or TV movies in the future? And have you given any thought as to who you would like to play your main character? First of all, I would love it if that would happen. But as to who might play, like for instance, a Jesse Sasser at that particular age, I have no idea. What would you say are the hardest and the easiest parts of the writing process for you? Well, something just happened here recently to me and I thought this is going to be the hard part. I think what has happened with me is I feel like I had run out of a bucket of fresh ideas. When you first start writing and you're working on your first book, second book, I mean, I'm thinking about, for instance, right now, like as an example, Diane Chamberlain, who's written 26 or 27 books at this point, and I'm like, I have only written four, well, five now, because the other one is finished. But, you know, I am nowhere near that. So one of the hardest things, at least right now for me, has been to come up with my next idea and not think, oh, and this could happen. It's like, no, that already happened in this book. Just coming up with a fresh idea. This, this is actually, I, I have an idea now and I'm getting ready to try to put together an outline, which is the next hardest thing to do. The easiest thing for me is to know what that story is and once I have the outline, to start writing it, to actually sit down and it starts flowing. It doesn't always flow every day, but, but that is actually, once I get that groundwork done, then I'm, I'm good to go. Writing can be a little bit of a lonely business and that's why support is so important. Who is or who are your biggest support or supporters when it comes to your writing, Donna? My husband, I, you know, that goes without saying. I mean, it's him and I here at the house and our little dog. So, you know, he'll listen to me when I'm struggling. He can kind of tell by the way my hair looks, <laughs> whether it's a good writing day or a bad writing day. And then um, my writing community. Other writers, they just know what you're going through. They understand it and I rely heavily on those folks. I've got a couple of individuals that I communicate with regularly and one of them in particular, we do a lot of reading, like beta reading for each other. And then the other one, I just kind of commiserate with. You mentioned earlier that you had just finished a book. So what can you share with listeners? So this is a very different story from the first ones in that it is not a coming of age story and it's not written in first person point of view. Those are probably the biggest departures, but I really wanted to tackle something different. And this book is written from two different perspectives, a male perspective, my main character on that side, his name is Delwood Reese. Then it's also got a female character and her name is Ray Lynn Cobb. They each experience a life altering event that of their own volition, of their own choice, that they end up in a turpentine labor camp down in 
South Georgia, and this is set during the Depression, so you can imagine how rough that is. Anyway, they suffer this life-altering event that sends them down there, and one of them is looking to escape their past, and the other is looking for their future. It's called The Saints of Swallow Hill. It will go on sale January 25th, 2022. If you could give writers who want to publish traditionally any advice, what would it be? I had an unusual path to traditional publication, and by that I mean I worked with a freelance writer on the education of Dixie Dupree on and off for about a year to a year and a half to get that manuscript polished. It turns out that she was part of the New York publishing houses that she had worked at several of them and now she was doing this on the side freelance so she had good connections so I consider myself very fortunate to have gone about it that way. I do know that the the main process for most writers obviously is going through the slush pile and having to contend with that which can be daunting and very discouraging but don't get discouraged because everybody I think has got a good opportunity. I would say you have to pay careful attention to how you write your query. We all, you know, anybody that's doing this kind of knows this. We've all heard this stuff, but it really is true. You really want to pay attention to how you, you're writing your query to get an agent and to just, you know, it's no different than writing, to stick with it. And one of the other things too is when you have a finished manuscript and you are starting to query it, get started on the next one. Because a lot of times, this is what happened to me. When I finally got my agent, The Education of Dixie Dupree, that first book did not sell for three years. <laughs> I wrote two other books in the meantime. One of them never has never been on submission, but the other one went on submission. And one of the editors quickly turned it down, but wanted to see if there I had something else. And I just happened to have that very first book. That's the one that sold with that editor. So always have something else that you're working on. Just keep doing that and don't give up, you know, on the old slush pile. I call it the untitled manuscript drawer or hard drive. <laughs> just sort of sits there forever. But this is good, solid advice. I had a high school English teacher one time that told us to save, save, and resave, and boy, was she right. Always save your stuff, have it stashed somewhere. You never know. The opportunity may come up and you may get to share it with someone. You need it because that's that's truly the only reason why it worked out for me. I had there was something else that my agent could offer. I think every writer I've spoken with has these. Like they're laying around on hard drives and, you know, in desk drawers or just stashed away somewhere in their attics. I've got some. I mean, I'll admit it. Pull it out every now and then and look at it and go, oh, yeah, you're here. Yeah, hopefully, maybe one day. <laughs> That's exactly the thought. <laughs> someday, someday I'll get to you. But my listeners are not going to have to wait someday to hear an excerpt from The Moonshiner's Daughter by Donna Everhart. That's because she is now going to read an exclusive excerpt from that book herself right here on the Writing Wall podcast. I have it marked right here. It's at the very, very beginning of the books. It's going to be a total of about two pages, but I think it'll give anyone who's listening a good sense of what the book is about. The only memory I have of Mama, she was on fire. I'd been watching my baby brother Merritt digging in the dirt when I heard a subtle pop, then a loud explosion, and the big pot Daddy and Mama were always tending 
suddenly burst into flames, and so did Mama. The sight made me grip hold of Merritt's hand hard enough to make him squeal. Daddy would sometimes have to burn tent caterpillars. He'd hold a flaming end to the white cottony fuzz woven around the branches of the apple trees, and as the nests blazed, the black, wormy bodies fell and hit the ground like the soft patter of raindrops. Fire always saved the fruit, but it's what took Mama from us. Mama took off running, going this way and that. Daddy yelled, Lydia, and then, stay there, Jesse, to me. Merritt had already gone back to stabbing a stick in the mud over and over, making baby noises, completely unaware. Mama beat her hands against her head, then they caught fire too. She ran in a zigzag pattern, as if performing a strange and chaotic dance. Daddy tried to catch her, yelling over and over, Stop running! Somehow she evaded him, his efforts to help. He stumbled, twisted his ankle, and then he couldn't run near as fast, staggering after her, limping badly. She didn't make any noise until the last seconds before she fell, when she shrieked his name, Easton! The cry came long and high-pitched, like a siren. She faltered, collapsed, everything from her head down to the tops of her legs consumed. Daddy threw himself over her, smacking his hands along her body. His movements frantic, he jerked his t-shirt over her head and pulled it down as far as it would go. If the flames singed him while he held her, he didn't act like he noticed. Puffs of smoke curled and drifted around them like tiny gray clouds, while an odd stench penetrated my nose, a distinct smell that held me rooted in place. The imprint of her face came through his shirt. I quit crying and waited for them to get up and for her to start laughing and say, did I scare you? The fabric over her face where her mouth pushed against the cloth was a perfect oval, the only movement a slow sucking in and out of the now smutty material. That spot mesmerized me, in, out. After a few seconds, the area no longer moved. Daddy struggled to sit upright, still cradling her upper half. Her arms lay limp at her sides, hands blackened. He tilted his head like he didn't understand what happened any more than I did. He bent close, whispered in the area of her ear, Lydia? Mama didn't answer, didn't move. I remained fixated, waiting. He pulled his shirt up and away. Where she'd been creamy skinned, she was raw, charred, peeling. Her hair was mostly gone and only a few wispy clumps still clung to her skull while her blouse was near about scorched off. It didn't matter though, because everything, her face, the lack of movement, was wrong, all wrong. It was as if she'd melted away, and my world turned as lopsided as the crooked bend of her torso in his arms. Merritt had lost interest in his dirt digging and started toward them, steps unsteady as he made his way over the roots and leaves, dragging the stick along the ground. He whispered, but this was overtaken by Daddy's gasping. He appeared to be trying to breathe for the both of them. He made noises such as I'd never heard before. I mimicked Merritt, whispering, Mama, this is what I remember, the three of us making our distress known. 
while mama lay forever silent. Just want to say thank you so much, Donna, for reading that excerpt from The Moonshiner's Daughter and for being our Writer of the Week and being with us here this evening on the Writing Wall podcast. This is one of those books that's going to draw you in and the characters are going to tug at your heart. You can check out Donna's other books too, The Education of Dixie Dupree, The Forgiving Kind, and The Road to Bittersweet by following her on social media and visiting her website. So Donna, please share with listeners and subscribers your website address. Anything that I am connected to, you can link to it through www.donnaeverhart.com. You can still catch Donna Everhart's blog article on our website, and you can also follow her on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just visit her website for all those links. Our next writer of the week for Monday, March the 1st, is the one and only Kyle T. Davis from Twitter and Instagram. Kyle will be with us on Writing Corner Wednesday, March the 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All podcasts are available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many other platforms. Also, be on the lookout for our newsletter that will be published March 1st. It'll be placed on our website, and you can get all those links by following The Writing Wall on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at writingsonthewall85. Join us right back here Saturday, March the 13th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a full episode of the Writing Wall Podcast. Stick around because when I return, we're going to talk about how to make money on the down low. As writers, the writerly deal is coming up. Welcome back to the Writing Community DL. That's right, we're going to keep all this on the down low. This is between us writers out there. How to make extra money during the time of COVID because we all know it's been a struggle and the struggle's been real. Either you're selling a book, you're promoing, you're writing, you're blogging, whatever you're doing. If you're looking to make a little side extra cash, may not be much, but it might be enough to cover something, you know, maybe take out. No joke. You can now sell your handwritten letters. Many people are too busy to write their own letters. So the premise is individuals who are too busy to write out a birthday card message or a sympathy card message, or they just want to write a simple letter to the board of trustees or something like that. Then they come to you and they say, hey, do you mind writing me this letter? And I'll pay you X amount of dollars for that letter. You can actually charge by word, I imagine. So yes, it is a thing and professional letter writing can make you some extra cash. And it can be fun and successful as long as you approach it like a business and keep it organized. You can also sell your handwriting now, no joke. You can do it by using Adobe and some other things. It's really an interesting take on calligraphy. They create fonts from your handwriting. Your handwriting can now end up on mugs, t-shirts, notebooks, what have you. Of course, everyone knows that if you love to blog or you love a specific topic you can find a blog about, then you can most often make money being a guest blogger for someone. Or you can get on something like pro blogger job board and you can go through hundreds of jobs daily and apply to anything that seems like it's a good fit for you and your blogging style or your blogging topic. Did you know that there are actually blogging jobs posted to Craigslist and writing jobs and opportunities? That's right, Craigslist still exists. 
you can make some fairly easy money by writing and doing what you love. Maybe you're not a blogger, maybe you're not a writer, maybe that's just not your thing, maybe it's just not your niche. So maybe you're a poet. You can actually sell your poetry on some websites. This one site is called moneypantry.com forward slash get dash paid dash two dash write dash poetry forward slash. <laughs> okay, so once that's over with. Anyway, they give you a whole list of magazines and books and places that you can submit your poetry to for review and hopefully it will pay off. Now, if you're crafty as well as poetic, like my friend Stephanie Ray, there's another great thing you can do. You can use Etsy to sell your poems. That's right, dive into the world of crafting while also writing poetry and sharing it with others. Stephanie already does some of this. She actually did some handmade, homemade journals and they had some very inspirational words on them. And I thought they were just gorgeous. I mean, seriously, you can't go wrong. So Etsy may be another way to go. And that's it for my writerly DLs this evening. When I come back, we're going to do the one thing you all have been looking forward to. That's right. It's time for a shameless self-promo Saturday shout out. So stick around. But never least, I'm here for Shameless Self Promo Saturday shout out. Our first shout out is going to go to Judith Lynn, and you can find her on Twitter at Judith Lynn Pub. Lynn being spelled with an E at the end. Her book is titled Not Like a Lady Lords and Undefeated Ladies, Book One. It's about a baronet who is terrible at talking to women and a pretty pushy young woman with a horse. Check it out on Amazon.com and visit Judith Lynn on Twitter. Also, visit her website, JudithLynn.com. Our next shout-out is going to Hannah Siller at RC underscore Rose 20 on Twitter. She is a mental health education inspirational blogger at SereneLifeConsulting.com and a doctoral candidate in psychology, former therapist, and child trauma survivor that uses her knowledge and experience to provide easy-to-understand education and break the stigma around mental health. In her latest article, she focuses on the reasons why a person in an abusive situation may not report their abuser and focuses on what society can do to change this. So give Hannah Siller a look on Twitter at RC underscore Rose 20 and check out her blog, SereneLifeConsulting.com. The next shout out is going to Gretchen Jeanette on Twitter. You can follow her at G.A. Jeanette. Her novels have received 23 awards, ranging from a finalist award at the Clive Cussler 2020 Adventure Writers Competition to a silver medal in the 2020 Global Ebook Awards to a gold medal in the Coffee Pot Book Club 2020 Book of the Year Award Historical Romance. Her stories cross genres like action adventure, historical fiction, romance, and often deal with the violence, tragedies, and triumphs of the American Revolution. Jeanette's book, The Devil Take Tomorrow, is available on Amazon.com now, and you can visit her website, GretchenJeanette.com. For all of you C.S. Lewis fans out there like me, you can take a look at John Buffillo Jones at John Buffillo Jones on Twitter. And you can give them a look on their website, johnbuffillojonesauthor.co.uk. This is a quirky young adult fantasy book full of space pirates, goblins, and magic, a Douglas Adams meets Narnia, and Labyrinth 
sort of story. A grieving young girl tries to escape from her grief by heading into a magical galaxy that needs saving. However, she soon finds herself lost in a tangle of insidious plots, mystery, and adventure that could see this galaxy finally crumble and die. When the World Falls Down is now available via tupador.co.uk and you can find it all on John Buffillo Jones' Twitter page and website. Our next shout-out goes to an author, grandmother, and mother of three, S.G. Gibbs, and you can follow her on Twitter at sggibbs14. And that's the number 14 at the end there. Her book is titled My Rachel and is available on Amazon.com. This book is based on real-life events and is a raw and authentic account of a true fight for life and justice. Poetry lovers, you can check out Julio Carlos on Twitter, too, at Julio underscore reviews, reviews in all lowercase. His book is titled Wave Hearts. It's available on Amazon.com and is a lovely story of two souls bound together by destiny, a heavenly love, dedication, effort, hope, and of course, indifference. When you visit his Twitter page, you can also find his author page, official site, and his podcast. That's right, he's a podcaster too. So give Julio Carlos a look on Twitter. Now I'm also going to shamelessly self-promo my book, Dividing Rich, because it will be available for Kindle in Kindle format on March 1st on Amazon.com. You can pre-order your copy today. And you can also get all of my links to all of my stuff on my Twitter page by following me at The Writing Wall on Twitter or at Writings on the Wall 85 for Instagram. That's it for me this shameless self-promo Saturday. I hope everyone has a great weekend and joins us for our next Writer of the Week. Kyle T. Davis will be with us Writing Corner Wednesday, March the 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Writing Wall Podcast. Anytime I purchase a book, I always review, and if I really enjoy reading your work, rest assured it may be shared here on this podcast with my listeners and followers. Of course, I will do so with permission from the author or authors first. Please like, follow, and share this information with other writers, and if you ever need a writer's lift, visit me on social media. Thank you all again for being here for this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about the stories you weave. Music